Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and today we have a very special show planned. Uh, our regular guests are here with uh, things they'd like to share with you, and overall we'll be discussing the topic of heroism uh, in literature, uh, in media, and in real life. Our first guest is one of our scholars from the edge of time, Nicholas Dyack. Greetings and welcome, Nicholas. How are you? Uh, greetings, Hercules. I'm doing very well. I hope you're doing well as well. That was I'm doing well. very well. <laughs> and I've taken your advice. I've started the process of creating uh, an author page on uh, Amazon. Um, it's uh, been challenging. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, that's my latest adventure, and I should have it finished by uh, the end of this weekend. And if you need some help with it, I can help as best I can. You know, once you get it all set up, you can send in some tickets to say, hey, I'm a contributor to this book. Can you add it to my profile? And then when it's all said and done, you'll have a little page like Michelle and I have. You can put your little picture there, um, Facebook page and all that stuff, and I'll have all the books that you either authored or co-authored all in one little spot. And you can look at it and say, yeah. And that is what I'm aiming to do. So I couldn't figure out how to add a picture, but I added a short bio. And one of my books popped up uh, there, one I contributed to, but I've contributed to around uh, seven of them so far, and I published two e-books on my own. So, uh, uh, again, thank you for your help. I will definitely request it when uh, uh, I get stuck, which I invariably will. I know worries. We'll get it sussed out. You'll be awesome. Well, thank you. Now, you have a very interesting thing you'd like to share, uh, a sword and sandal holiday special. So my curiosity has been piqued. Uh, I saw the cover of the book that you posted on uh, Facebook. Haven't had a chance to research it yet. Uh, But since we're speaking, I'd love to hear it straight from you. Absolutely. So I've been actually pretty excited to talk about this book. I'll probably be doing a little 
write up a, a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Roads by C. Barry Quinn. Um, I first saw this book maybe very late last year, early this year, and I, I, I saw the cover, you know, just uh, the cover shows, you know, a star beaming some light onto the some rolling hills, and there's a discarded, you know, shield, Spartan helmet, and a sword. And uh-huh. course, I'm looking at saying, oh, man, this is total sword and sandal. I had no idea what the book was about. <clears throat> and I come to find out it's actually a sword and sandal Christmas story. It's about kind of <laughs> an alternate, you know, origin of Santa Claus. And so, you know, I did my, you know, research. It was written by an author named Seabury Quinn. He was a mm-hmm. um, pulp author back in the early 1900s. He, um, you know, contributed a lot to, like, weird stories and whatnot. And so uh-huh. Rhodes originally, uh, was published in, uh, you know, magazine format in, uh, what I have here, 38. And then the legendary Arkham House republished it 10 years later in 1948. So, of course, as a a collector of Arkham House books. I want to get my paws on that someday, but since it's an old Arkham House book, it's a little on the pricey side. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I remember when those weren't on the pricey side. <laughs> but it, it's been reprinted a couple times, so I was able to... Uh, I was actually gifted a copy by the publisher of its current reprint, Shadow Ridge Press, and so now instead uh-huh. of paying you know, $500 for an Arkham copy, you can pay like 80 um, so, uh, I, I was excited to finally read it. I kind of sat on it for many, many months because, you know, I figured it's a Christmas story. Might as well read it during Christmas time. And so I figured first I start by telling you what the book is actually about. So <clears throat> the book is divided into three parts. It starts with a barbarian, barbarian named, uh, Claudius. Um, okay. He's from north. He's uh he's Nordic, but he's down in Judea, um, because he's he's basically a gladiator. Uh, but he's not enslaved or anything. He's just down there fighting, you know, earning money, doing his thing, and his mm-hmm. tenure down there has come end. And you know, he's all longing to to return back to the Northlands right now. He's got a you know pouch full of uh money. He's got a lot of respect from other you know, Roman soldiers who've all seen him fight. And, uh, you know, he's pretty overt, you know, he believes in the, the Norse gods. Um, so the, the story starts off, he's, just, he's camping, he's ambushed uh, by uh, a pickpocket, which he easily dispatches. Um, and, you know, he's just wandering uh, to leave, you know, the area. Well, he comes across a town, and inside the town is a woman who's holding a dead baby. The baby has unfortunately cool. been slain. Well, what has happened is, um, you know, uh, well, baby Jesus was born is what happened. And, uh, I mean, they don't know that. But the local lord, you know, gets wind of this. Like, you know, a, a baby was just born that's, you know, the king of kings. He's going to, you know, you know, how do you stand up to that? So by decree, you know, any baby that's like, you know, one year old, I'm sending my soldiers out to, to slay. Um, because, hey, you know, that kid's eventually going to challenge his uh, authority. And so, <clears throat> Claudius, they call him Klaus, as in, or Klaus or Claus, uh, uh-huh. because it worked for Klaus. Of and course. so he gets, you know, 
so he happens upon this woman and her dead baby, and, you know, it's really sad. Um, so he's traveling to Bethlehem, and he happens upon, you know, a band of soldiers harassing this couple who have a kid. And this is probably like the first, like, really real uh, sword and sandal moment. He, he goes into, he, the author describes in detail, basically a, a berserker rage and dispatches this, this squad of soldiers single-handedly. We're talking decapitations swords to the shields. Um, it's it's a pretty uh, intense scene. Um, it sounds like but, it. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, you know, that the inner gladiator inside all of us is going, yeah, kick, kick some butt. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he dispatches everyone, and he goes to talk to the couple. Well, obviously, this is um, it's baby Jesus and Mary and a, a wise uh, sage. And they're traveling to Bethlehem, and, and Klaus has saved them. Um, and so inside of Klaus's head, like, a voice booms. It's, it's Jesus talking to him. He's like, you know, thanks for saving me. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's big things coming for you. You know, you're basically going to be immortal. Uh, you're going to make all, you know, children forever happy so long as they celebrate my date of birth. And so, you know, Klaus's like, wow, I'm going to live past Ragnarok and all this other stuff. <laughs> And so, and so, uh, so Klaus becomes kind of an outlaw briefly because you know one of the soldiers like lived, and they all kind of hunt him. So it kind of thwarts his you know trip back to the Northlands. But that's his first encounter with Jesus. He, he basically becomes a you know a Nordic berserker, kills all these guards, and is is told that you know you're going to live forever and you're you're going to do you know some great things, which makes him happy. Uh huh. So that's basically. Part one of this story. Uh, side note: This story is really short. I think my my copy is. Uh, let me look real quick. <laughs> like barely eighty pages. So this is actually a, a, a one night read. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, section two. It's now a couple decades later. Klaus is now a, a centurion in Judea, um, and he hasn't aged at all. You know, he's basically immortal. Um, I mean, he's kind of a higher-up general type. And, uh, you know, the local, uh, you know, priest basically has captured uh, Jesus. He's, you know, proclaiming himself to be, you know, the king of Jews. And how dare he, you know, because there's only one king. It's, you know, our emperor. Um, And so, of course, you know, there's a a mock little, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a trial. But, you know, the the conclusion is we must crucify him, put him on a cross. And they Mm -hmm. do. And, uh, you know, Klaus goes out there because uh, he's asked to, you know, nail uh, the little note above uh, Jesus' head, you know, it says that he's, you know, king of the Jews, which is uh, still a mockery to the priest. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, Jesus, uh, he's in pain because he's, you know, being hung on the cross. And so um, Klaus, you know, stabs him to end his suffering. And a voice again booms inside his head. Uh, hey, Klaus, you remember me? It's <laughs> basically the, the gist of it. I'm the baby you saved a couple, you know, decades ago. And he basically reaffirms that, um, you know, great things are in store for Klaus. And, you know, Klaus is, uh, Klaus is uh, you know, still very moved by this. Well, now that, you know, Jesus is dead, you know, um, a storm rolls in, there's an earthquake, and the town is uh, being, um, you know, crumbling around him and he's trying to get out of the city, and he happens upon a, uh, 
I'm going to mispronounce this. Uh, Hetera, you know, a courtesan. And she's okay. In- yeah, Hetera, yeah. Okay. Um, and so he frees her, and she reveals that, you know, she, she had an affliction that uh, Jesus and that it was, pro- you know, Jesus prophesied that she would, you know, fall in love with Klaus. And then, you know, Jesus' voice booms in Klaus's head basically saying, yeah, you know, dude, this is your wife. You need to, like, hook up with her. And he does. Uh, so he basically gets this really beautiful Hedatera, uh, Hedatera, her name is Una, and basically she's going to become Mrs. Claus. And so, you know, they're quickly married, and they basically spend the next couple centuries going on adventures together. Uh, she acts as his squire, uh, and, you know, because they're now they're both immortal. Um, and so they kind of, you know, they jump around kingdom to kingdom being kind of, you know, swords for hire. You know, they, they take out, you know, various uh, cities. So basically, like, almost any, like, major conflict, you know, in the, you know, the late era, they're part of. Um, but, you uh-huh. know, they have to keep moving because, you know, one, they're immortal. And, you know, two, uh, they're, they're seeing kind of like how, you know, things are becoming perverted around them in the sense, like, you know, they go and visit Judea again. And Una says, you know, I saw, you know, Jesus here and people – overhear that and they're like, well, she's a witch. We got to burn her. So, mm-hmm. you know, have none of that. So it's, you know, prison escape sequence. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's what they do for a couple centuries. And now we're kind of into part three now. So uh-huh. now they're somewhere in, it's Christmas Eve and there's a famine that's hit this town they're living in. And so, uh, you know, there's not much to eat. And then Klaus decides to, uh, he starts whittling sleds, you know, little toy sleds. He just can't kind of stop. He's just cranking them out like no other, and he's never really done anything like this. And, you know, they have a storehouse full of uh, foods and, um, you know, other yummy treats and stuff. And so Una has the idea, hey, you know, you know, for all the poor in the town that's hit by a famine, they don't really have anything to eat. Let's just stuff these sleds with some of our food. And, and so Late at night, you know, Christmas Eve, they sneak around to all the houses. They leave these little sleds full of food. And the next mm-hmm. day, the part of the town wake up. There's all these sleds full of food, and they're all happy. What an awesome act. Well, of course, the the priests of the town, uh, they don't like that. They, they say it's like a – they say it's evil, satanic. They're like, you know, by, by God's will, you know, the poor need to remain poor. And because this stuff – that's helping them out, that's bad. And so, uh-huh. you know, they, they go to hunt down Klaus and Una, and of course the poor are like, no, get out of town, they're coming to get you. And they're like, scoop. And they do. Uh, so, you know, they flee in the night, but they still realize they did a good deed. And they, you know, everyone, all the poor in the town were all, you know, happy to receive the toys and, um, you know, the foodstuffs. And they kind of want to keep doing that. Well, eventually they make their way east, now they're in the Baltic states, uh, going through the forest, and they come across, you know, the last component that we're missing for Christmas, which are the elves. And so the uh-huh. elves, they live in the forest. They can't be helpful, you know, to the local towns and all the humans, but instead, you know, they're repaid back with, like, stories of terror, like, ooh, the elves are going to get you. And 
you know, Klaus basically says, hey, uh, you know, why don't you guys come work for me? I, I want to do, you know, good for everyone. Even though people are kind of treating you crappy, you still feel good doing it, right? And elves are basically saying yes. And so that's what they do. The elves hook up with Una and Klaus. They they trek their way to the far north, and voila, they set they Klaus builds a giant fortress, uh, his workshop. He hangs up his battle axe, which is now you know going to rust because he doesn't fight anymore. Him and Una and his elves now, you know, begin cranking out uh, toys to, you know, fulfill his destiny that you know that began so many centuries earlier when he, you know, saved. Jesus on the road to Bethlehem. Wow. So that, yeah, that's roads in a nutshell. And, you know, uh, I'm not exactly a, uh, you know, a religious guy. So, but I still felt really, you know, uh, a good time reading it. You know, it's an alternate kind of take on, you know, what's an origin of Christmas type story. You know, I, I see it as kind of a, you know, Every year it comes around, we have the, the stop-motion Rudolph uh, TV show, Charlie Brown. We have, you know, carols and all this other stuff. Well, you know, here's an oddball entity that comes out of no, left field. And, you know me, I like stuff that's really offbeat, assorted right. little Christmas tale. what it is. And I think in the end, it, it, it fulfills that purpose. Uh, so I thought it was a really good read. Uh, you know, combines, you know, um, biblical Pepla, Sword and Sandal, there's action sequences, um, you know, morality sequences as well. And it's just fun. Uh, granted, since it was written a long time ago, there's some uh, probably some not PC language in here. You know, they refer to, you know, uh, I think some Persians having hook noses. So that's probably not something you'd want to say today. <laughs> but uh-huh, yes. Yeah, peppering of that. I thought it was a really good, uh, different type of Christmas story. I, I guess I, I deep down just like the idea that Santa Claus was once a, a Nordic axe-wielding barbarian. <laughs> I like that idea, too. And uh, other people have played with that, uh, that idea. There was a series called, a comic book series called uh, um, Santa the Barbarian. And uh, I have the first issue. I don't know if it lasted uh, for any more issues uh, after that. And uh, then there was a movie with a wrestler Goldberg uh, that had Santa Claus being a uh, a Nordic berserker, and that he was under some sort of spell, you know, to deliver presents and to do uh, good. Uh, and uh, the, the the movie was about this uh, period of his uh, servitude do, uh, doing good deeds uh, was ending. So uh, uh, the book that you're uh, uh, describing, Road, sounds right up my alley. And uh, that's going to be on my uh, to-read list because I love that type of book. You know, I've never heard of Santa the Barbarian. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something I can look into real quick for my article. That's why I like to you know, connect with you because, you know, I, I always only know half the puzzle when it comes to peplum and sword and sandal. And since you have, you know, many, many sage-like years with the genre, you could just pop this out. Well, what do you think of this? So I have never heard of Santa the Barbarian. I, I just did a Google for it and I'm seeing it. So I'm definitely intrigued by that. 
Now, the Goldberg movie, I knew of. I don't I think uh-huh. I've seen bits of it. I thought it was supposed to be kind of, not a horror movie, but like, he's a, he's a killer Santa. Like, I remember a sequence in the beginning of the film, he interrupts a, a Christmas meal and kills everyone. Yes, he was a killer uh, Santa, um, but uh, he had a Norse mythological uh, background. And uh, it's been years since I saw it. And uh, my wife and I are trying to get together like strange Christmas films that we've liked um, for the holiday season. And we both remembered that one fondly. So uh, that was going to be one of my quests on Amazon and uh, eBay (laughs) to see if I could track down a a copy. It's called Santa's Sleigh. S L A Y. Yes. Course. Okay. I mean, I know of this film. I've seen like lots of clips of it because it's, you know, offbeat, but I've actually never watched it. So he's also a, a Nordic barbarian in that, which I can understand. Uh, back in the, I'm not ashamed to admit, back in the late 90s, I may have watched a couple, you know, WWF and WCW uh-huh. things. <laughs> I was familiar with Goldberg. Um, to be honest, I actually remember him from the Universal Soldier uh, sequel, but that's not exactly within the same genre. But anyway, since yeah. uh, you know, I wanted to talk about Rhodes just because it's Christmas, it's uh-huh. Thorn Sandal, and uh, and I know that your podcast is on you know a very spiritual centric uh, you know station, so I felt it'd be very appropriate to. You know, bring it up. I mean, I I completely spoiled what the entire book's about, but... But that's okay. Um, I I don't mind uh, um, spoilers because... uh, um, I, a lot of times I'll see things that were first published as novels or uh, comics. So I'm familiar with the story already. So I know you didn't ruin it for me. You, if anything, you've uh, fueled my curiosity. So now uh, uh, I'm impatient to uh, check it out. And I could add to that uh, legendary uh, a little bit. Um, one of my friends, he doesn't like uh, uh, his identity known, but he's, he's one of my close uh, friends, and uh, he's involved with some of my uh, adventures. Um, and he's a filmmaker. He's made lots of films uh, over the course of his career. Uh, but uh, sometimes around the holiday times, I dress up in my Olympian uh, uh, regalia, and he dresses up like Santa Claus. And uh, we go and distribute uh, presents to, you know, hospitals or to uh, nursing homes or to rehabilitation facilities or, you know, whatever. We, we don't always get a chance to do it, but, you know, we have been doing it like, uh, uh, let's say, like every other year for the past uh, um, six years or so. Uh, and uh, we were discussing recently uh, doing this again. So uh, he was uh, saying that this, you know, how Santa Claus and Hercules got together to deliver presents will be quite a story. Uh, so I agreed with him. So we're playing with that idea. too. So who knows what bizarre tale will spring uh, uh, from that interaction. But uh, this way, uh, I, I will read the book and watch the story uh, with Goldberg for inspiration. And I'll, I'll dig out uh, Santa the Barbarian and see what uh, inspiration that can offer as well. Hercules, if if I may ask, back in the sure. early 2000s, when you were exploring the the Thor the Barbarian uh, uh, persona, uh, what did you do for Christmas uh, during that time? Was there something that you did that was special? 
Well, I, I uh, Christianity is not my uh, religion, so um, you know, basically, always just uh, celebrated other people's uh, holidays. Um, so whatever my friends and family happen to be celebrating, that's what uh, you know I uh, celebrated. Uh, I've always been fascinated by uh, end of the year uh, mythology. And uh, recently, Athena and I have been talking about, you know, um, issuing Olympian type uh, holidays that uh, reflect the mythology of the season, but at the same time are, are fun. Um, I have a friend, uh, he's a magician in Chicago, not rabbit out of the hat magician, but ceremonial magician. And uh, he had suggested that uh, uh, we adopt Festivus, which was a Seinfeld holiday that some people are observing oh, yeah. now. And uh, he said that this had Herculean elements like feats of strength and things like that. Uh, so I looked into Festivus, but uh, I don't like the uh, um, uh, the grievance uh, part of it. You know, we complain about all your grievances. That's not very Herculean. And uh, um, the, although Hercules uh, had pillars in his mythology, um, which I could substitute for the pole in the Festivus uh, um, celebration. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't uh, click for me. So I'll probably pass on uh, um, Festivus. But um, th the thinking through: uh, Can I use Festivus or not in what we're doing? Um, I was thinking: Why not create something uh, new and exciting that, that's very Herculean? And um, Kak Young, who is one of uh, our, our frequent guests, and now she's hosting um, a uh, healing show uh, with us. Um, she had written a book called Chart Your Course. It's a course now. It was it started as a book and now it's an actual course uh, about the Zodiac. And because Hercules uh, in antiquity was associated with the Zodiac and in metaphysics, uh, um, he still is. Um, I'm going to be uh, incorporating the Zodiac uh, into uh, the celebration. So I'll be posting stuff on it in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, but uh, I've always creatively celebrated holidays when I am not celebrating other people's holidays. Uh, I've always kind of created something. So uh, that process continues. When we had a group on uh, Yahoo long before Facebook or um, any of the other social media, uh, when Yahoo groups were the way that people uh, were communicating, um, Whoever was in the group, we asked them to create a birthday celebration um, that we could observe on their birthday. So uh, throughout the year, we had all these like really cool, cool birthdays. Um, I had one, Iraklis uh, Varvaros, which means Hercules the Barbarian, and you celebrated it by barbecuing, basically. How about you, Nicholas? What, what, uh, how do you celebrate your holidays? Well, like like yourself, I'm I'm not a Christian or, a, you know, in under any Western orthodoxy, I'm, uh -huh. I'm pretty, pretty black and white atheist on my end, but it doesn't mean I don't have, you know, reverency for mysticism, paganism, heathenism. Right. Um, so, but I'm also, you know, I grew up with Christmas, I grew up with all the other holidays, so I celebrate them. Um, like Michelle and I, uh, you know, we have a tree, we have, you know, presents underneath it, although right now we've got totems, little plushies of our, you know, of our uh, cats that have long, you know, cats. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But it is, uh, you know, it's remembrance of, uh, you know, last, well, last year was the first time we ever got a tree, you know, because uh, 
before that, you know, Michelle's cats would destroy a tree. So when we had our cat ashes last year, it was our first time to get a tree. And, you know, he did very well around it. And so, you know, it was a fake tree. So, all, you know, the fake tree comes back out, and it looks really nice. Um, mm-hmm. Typically what uh, we do is, t- to me, holidays are an excuse to cook. And I, okay. I love experimenting with new dishes, and I like, you know, making them and serving them to folks, you know. I, I think there is, you know, a saying somewhere, you know, a, a good way to show you know, how much you love someone is to, to cook for them because it's kind of an intimate thing. And so to me, Christmas I agree with that, by the way. Of, it's a good philosophy to live by. Um, mm-hmm. So Christmas to me is a, so not just, you know, give presents, receive presents, you know, take time off work. It's, you know, to find something really neat to cook and give it a shot. And so every Christmas it's, you know, trying to find something new to, to try out. So we're a little far away from Christmas now, so I haven't decided, uh, you know, usually I say, hey, Michelle, does this sound good? I'll get some day <laughs> or day and then gung-ho for it. You know, I've done things from, you know, stuffed peppers to different, you know, fake meats to uh, even Italian dishes, casseroles or whatnot. So that's kind of how I celebrate uh, uh, Christmas. Um, we do have um, friends that run a foster home for uh, neglected cats over in uh, L.A. area, and we've been uh, having Christmas dinner with them. We go to a restaurant called uh, The Stinking Rose. It's uh-huh. a themed Italian restaurant where everything is covered in garlic. It is awesome. They even serve ice cream covered in some sort of chocolate garlic syrup. And uh, so we, wow. we partake of that as well. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Uh, for uh, for Thanksgiving, we had Grexican food, which is uh, Mexican food uh, cooked Greek style. And I, I did most of the cooking uh, for that. And we don't really like having big uh, celebrations, uh, but we're the place where people who can't make the bigger celebrations, uh, you know, drop by and like spend their holidays. So that's kind of like our tradition. Uh, so uh, we had... Uh, um, turkey enchiladas and uh, cranberry margaritas <laughs> and uh, they were the the turkey enchiladas were uh, spiced with oregano and basil and like other greek uh, spices and there were other greek elements and uh, um, you know we had sides uh, with that uh, and that was kind of like what we did for thanksgiving so it was traditional but not so much and uh uh, yeah, it was fun to spend time with whoever dropped by and to eat uh, together. You're making me hungry. <laughs> well, w- one day when uh, I visit the West or you guys visit the East, uh, what do you call it? We'll get together and uh, we'll have a creative meal. So I'm looking forward to that. I am so down for that. Now, so you, you also... Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, keep going. Oh, you you had uh, sent me an email about a um, um, a like a fabulous beast that you had discovered, uh, and uh, we still have like ten minutes. So if you want to talk about the fabulous beast, I'd love to hear more about it. Absolutely. Now this is not really you know uh, Greco you know antiquity mythological beast, but it's a mythological beast nonetheless. And so uh-huh. I thought that might be appropriate to bring on the show because I know you kind of like mystical bestiaries. Yes, so, I love them. Uh, 
uh, if you recall a couple episodes ago when we were talking about some dreams, I brought up uh, one of our author friends, Lee Murray. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's written a couple uh, military monster books that you know has a character that you know Mor- Morari, I'm mispronouncing that. You know, they they you know get wisdom through their dreams and so on and so forth. Well, uh, she released a short story that's in those. Uh, in the same canon as her military uh, fiction books. Uh, it's called Into the Darkness. And it's just a, a short story that takes place between her other two books, uh, Into the Sound and Into the Mist. And in this short story, this uh, New Zealand sergeant, uh, he's vacationing in France. And it turns out the, the town he's in is being plagued by a polluta. I had never hmm. heard of what this I've never heard of it Yeah, apparently it has its origins in medieval times. So this is French folklore here. But it's a type of small dragon. It's about as big as an ox. And instead of scales, it's got quills. Hmm. The dragon lives under this town. And, you know, its quills are poisonous. It can, you know, spit out acid. And, um... So the gist of this story is, you know, this, you know, New Zealand Special Forces guy, you know, catches wind of this. So he's got to go combat this uh, basically equivalent of a a small French dragon that, you know, a a hedgehog dragon in a weird sort of way. So, you know, he leads a squad of uh, French, you know, commandos in there. You know, they all get wiped out because, come on, it's a dragon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, a, a firefight ensues, you know, uh, in, you know, he lives obviously cause he's got to go on to the next book. Uh, but I just found it fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about, you know, cryptozoology or anything like that. This is the first time I've ever heard of this creature. So of course, you know, uh-huh. Google search, image search later. And it was just a neat thing to read about just this small porcupine dragon that lives under the catacombs you know, in this small um, French town. And the town's actually called La Ferte Bernard. And it's a real thing, Mm. Uh, at least a real mythological thing. And so it just caught my attention. I wanted to toss that out on your show because, one, you know, I always like to talk about Lee's work. And, two, it's just, you know, here's another creature of myth, French myth, but myth nonetheless. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's all. No, that's that is awesome. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if I've shared this with you. I and I don't haven't really shared it in a while. Uh, um, I haven't focused on it. I might have shared it, but uh, Athena and I uh, used to uh, explore the paranormal in uh, Pennsylvania when we lived there. And uh, one of the articles um, that we wrote is actually appearing in an anthology that's coming out uh, uh, soon. Um, on uh, fabulous beasts, uh, on the, the that's the Pennsylvania squonk. But uh, anyway, we used to explore actual sightings, and you know, people used to share. And we used to uncover like lots of really interesting information. And Athena's much more scientific than I am, so she used to, you know, get into the science of it, while I would get into the, uh, you know, the legendary and the storytelling uh, aspect of it. Uh, but we investigated lots of active hauntings. We investigated several uh, uh, beasts 
uh, or like cryptids that people were seeing. And uh, it was a very fun uh, ride. And uh, I had done that before on my own, before Athena and I hooked up. And uh, lately I've been getting an itch to pursue that path again. So um, uh, you are uh, a psychic in this. You pick that up in some way uh, and uh, you, uh, you know, presented it. And that, again, that's whetting my appetite for things that uh, I'd like to do. If I may, Hercules, I have yes. a folk news friend. His name is Timothy Renner, and that's okay. what he does. He lives in Pennsylvania, and he explores, you know, Pennsylvania Bigfoot and all that stuff. And he's written a couple books. He's oh, got awesome! A book called uh, Beyond the Seventh Gate: Exploring Toad Road, the Seven Gates of Hell, and Other Strangeness in York, Lancaster, and Adams Counties. Wow, I, I used to be more north, and uh, I used to operate more north, like in uh, Wayne, Pike, you know, in those uh, areas uh, in northeastern Pennsylvania. And there, too, there were, like, uh, gateways uh, to the heavens, to hell. There was even in a town, uh, Oliphant, uh, the Oliphant Mystery, and we followed that for many years. And uh, um, the person who discovered the Oliphant Mystery said that Oliphant means the light of Olympus. Uh, which uh, uh, is, I guess, sound etymologically to some degree, but that, that's not what, how, what the town was named after. There, there actually was an Oliphant family. Uh, so, uh, but it was a fascinating thing to explore, and uh, um, I, I, I love those mysteries. And uh, invite your friend to be on our show. Uh, I'm going to be doing more and more uh, um, strange mystery type of shows in 2019 uh, when we have a whole station to play with. Um, and uh, so that would be an awesome thing to talk about. Uh, I'll send you his details, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, cue him in as well, because he's in your neck of the woods, and that's his forte. I also have one other friend. Her name is Montana Jordan. She operates mm-hmm. out of Portland, or is it Portland? Somewhere in Oregon. And her forte is, you know, Pacific Northwest Paranormal. She teaches oh, classes awesome. on weekends boards and she does all that paranormal investigating and uh, she gives lectures. She's really cool too. So I'll have to pass you both their contact information. That would be incredibly awesome. Um, And uh, I looked at the clock. We only have a a couple of minutes left. Um, How can folks uh, get in contact with you and enter your world, Nicholas? Absolutely. So, so you can find me online at nickdiak.com. N-I-C-K-D-I-A-K.com. Uh, from there, you can find all my links to all my social media, all the news that I'm on, links to past episodes of Voice of Olympus I've been on. Awesome. There. Yeah, I catalog all that stuff. So, so thank I, you so well, much for having me on uh, to discuss roads. It seemed very fitting for this Yuletide season. And yes. I, I, I hope. A, a great uh, winter. I hope all your listeners have a great Yuletide. Thank you so very much. I hope that you have a wonderful Yuletide uh, as well. And um, I put up links to your Facebook, to your um, Amazon, to uh, Wikipedia's description of roads, uh, to Santa's sleigh on Amazon, and to your review of uh, um, Into the Darkness. Uh, on Goodreads. Is there anything else you'd like me to link to? I'm sorry? I'm um, I see all that. Is there anything else you'd like me to link to for today's show? 
no, you're golden. Uh, I'll send you some emails a little bit later to introduce you to my friends. Okay, awesome. I look forward to it. Nicholas, thank you. It's a pleasure as always. And I look forward to speaking with you on Thursday. Absolutely. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Um, we are going to listen to a quick uh, song. And uh, let me see. I, there's only a few of them that I play over and over. Uh, but uh, that's my show. Uh, we're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra Evolve because I love the message of that. Uh, thanks again, Nicholas. And when we come back, we will be speaking with a second scholar from the Edge of Time, uh, Michelle Brittany.
and lover of cats. Greetings and welcome, Michelle. Good evening, Hercules. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. It's Monday evening. It's nice to be here. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad that you're here uh, as well. You had some interesting things that you shared uh, in an email that you were looking into, and uh, thank you for sharing them here on Voice of Olympus. Well, definitely. You know, I, I feel kind of bad. I, I haven't had a chance to finish uh, reading the John Carter's uh, Little Anya of Glassell story. So I uh-huh. don't have much to say about that so much as reading uh, the beginning part. I hadn't read John Carter before. So um, it got me thinking about superheroes. Obviously, tonight's Uh, episode did as well but it made me think about well what makes a superhero and of course I I think I've always thought that um, you know superheroes were you know uh, masked uh, you know individuals with superhuman strength you know often from another world um, Uh slightly but um you know, and I think that that was always my, kind of my pop culture perception of the superhero. So in prepping for this evening, I, uh, you know, went back uh, to our handy-dandy Wikipedia, because if it's published there, it's got to be true. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was looking to see, well, you know, when did superhero, the term, even come about? And so... You know, from Merriam-Webster, it actually says that it is a term that dates back to at least 1917. And um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, the time frame, you know, that's after World War I, um, you know, the world has gone through its first modern war. And kind of thinking about the, the national identity, national or international thoughts, um, of coming out of this war. And um, so, well, I mean, I think I've always thought that superheroes always had to be somebody with superhuman 
abilities. Um, Merriam-Webster says that it can be an exceptionally skillful or successful person. So when I thought about that, I thought, well, you know, that really does open up the playing field because I, you know, I was thinking, well, who's the superhero to? And, um, you know, I, I got to thinking about, well, you know, who are people that I know that are, you know, of that, that elk that I could feel, you know, fulfill that, that position. And, uh, you know, so I thought of, like, real-life people, like, you know, the Howard Carters, the archaeologists uh, in Egypt, and many more contemporary uh, scientists, um, you know, that, that excel um, in their craft and in their abilities. Um, but then I also thought about, along with that, well, because we're so influenced by pop culture, I, I also wanted to look at well, what's kind of the history of the superhero? And so thinking in, in those terms, you know, at the turn of the century and around the almost 1920s, you know, what were films doing? What were, you know, comic books doing and things like that? So mm-hmm. in the, the early films, you have, you know, uh, what would be superhero um they took on the skilled person uh, uh, by design and usually with a masked identity, such as, um, you know, Sir Percy uh, Lakeney from the uh, Scarlet Peppermill, which is like uh-huh, one of my yes. favorite novels as a movie. Um, but, you know, also Zorro and Robin Hood. And what was interesting is all these, all these individuals were, were humans, and they just happened to be very well-skilled um, and could excel and um, be the hero to, you know, a larger group of people. You know, they, they weren't just thinking of themselves. They were looking beyond. Um, but then into the 1950s, of course, we had a little bit more of a shift of superheroes um, by by way of like the comics that that people were reading, so it wasn't just you know movies anymore. It was like what are what are the younger generation reading? Um, and so you know we have Superman for instance, who you know personified kind of our modern idea of the superhero. Um, you know, and here's this 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 person that's from you know another world who comes to Earth. Um, and, you know, by all intents and purposes, looks human, but he actually, mm-hmm. you know, obviously has superhuman strength, you know. Uh, so those are kind of the interesting, but then you know, move on into Batman um, and some of the other comic book heroes, such as Wonder Woman. Um, you know, it's interesting that they remain human, although there is some question, depending on the origin story of uh, Diana Prince, that we uh-huh. believe in. Um, but, you know, we kind of go off into that realm where we start getting more and more of the comic book type superheroes than our kind of, you know, average person who just happens to be, you know, very well skilled in a particular skill set. 
Um, so yeah, that's a I good observation. Yeah, and you know, so then I was like looking at some of the time periods beyond the 30s. You know, looking at well, the 40s were wartime, so um, you know, there's a little bit less that I found there just through a periphery search. But in the 1950s, we have you know even more of the comic book heroes. Um, but what's interesting is in the 70s, we kind of started developing more of that that anti-hero, you know. And and to me, you know, we kind of shifted, and I I felt like that possibly could be in response to, you know, the spy genre of the 1960s, and you know the spaghetti westerns of the lone man, you know. Uh, or woman, um, you know, human, but more skilled, you know, in particular sets and not from other other worlds, um, and kind of developing into that that anti-hero and the vigilante hero, um, which really changed the dynamic of the way that we saw these heroes. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, you see them and, you know, they ultimately stand for good, you know, and honor and, you know, whatever kind of other values, you know. Um, I don't think that when we saw Charles Bronson that we were thinking, yay, it's Superman, oh, it's Super Charles Bronson, you know. And, <laughs> but, you know, um, they they had their place and their purpose and and they you know represented the time period uh, you know when we think of you know coming out of the Vietnam War you know uh, the uh, second wave of uh, feminism which will definitely have an impact on you know 1980 superheroes when we had the popularity of you know Wonder Woman with the television series. Um, mm-hmm. you know, She-Ra uh, was a big one, Elektra, Batgirl, you know, you know, and, and not to say that there weren't women earlier than that, were, but, you know, it seemed like that's when it kind of came of age and we saw a lot more, you know, female superheroes out there um, by identify. And as we got into the 90s, obviously we had, you know, Buffy, we had Cena, um, and mm-hmm. many others, um, all in, you know, embodying different things. Um, but, you know, but and and again, they were more, you know, they're human with particular skill sets. So I find mm-hmm. it interesting that on the on small screen, so to speak, we you saw a lot of that, but you know. Uh, the big screen, we have a lot more of the superheroes. Uh, those things right. the, the and the most uh, money spent. Too. You have, uh, uh, although the, you have like uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then you have uh, the Arrowverse and uh, uh, then all those uh, shows on uh, Netflix. That, uh, uh, the, the superheroes seem to have uh, um, invaded our popular culture. And uh, there were several interesting books uh, written on mythology and superheroes or metaphysics and superheroes. And um, these books uh, um, compared the superheroes and the mythology to the ancient myths and how 
we wouldn't have all of these superheroes all over the place if our um, society didn't need the gods and the and the the gods in their tales in comic books and movie uh, um, on television and, and on the big screen are uh, fighting you know, evils uh, and uh, facing challenges uh, beyond our ken. And that somehow humanity needs that right now. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having it. Yeah, you know, and I, I would think the Greeks and the Romans probably have the most overwhelming influence on our superheroes uh, in the modern era, I would think, too. Yes, I would think so uh, also, because uh, the... Uh, the Greco-Roman or Olympian pantheon is the most superheroish of the world's pantheons. Uh, and uh, both Marvel and DC have woven Greek mythology into their mythology. So it's a very interesting uh, uh, thing when you see the modern versions of the gods meeting their more ancient uh, versions and having these versions uh, interact uh, uh, with each other. Marvel tends to make Hercules a good guy. Uh, albeit roguish and uh, in DC he's also rogue but he tends toward being uh, a villain that they use uh, in their stories now that's interesting why why do you think that Marvel tends to put him more towards the good and DC puts him more towards the evil side why would that be well, Molson, who uh, created the Wonder Woman uh, mythos, or who initiated the, the Wonder Woman mythos, um, he used the Hercules uh, story of the uh, um, the capture of Hippolyta's girdle, and uh, yeah, that that story. Uh, the the more common versions are that initially Hercules and Hippolyta. Uh, agreeably, you know, he told her what he was looking for. She said, fine, you know, and they were having a feast. Uh, and in some accounts, it was the Amazons who didn't like this. In some accounts, it was the Greeks who didn't like this. In some accounts, it was the goddess Hera who didn't like this. Uh, but somebody started conflict uh, during the feast. Uh, and then, you know, there was a lot of death and so forth. And in some accounts, uh, uh, Hippolyta died in uh, another account, uh, she later married Theseus. So, you know, Greek mythology is pretty fluid. And there's lots of different versions there uh, as well. Um, but uh, he chose the one where the Amazons were imprisoned. And uh, that became part of the DC uh, canon. So uh, prior to that, and even during that, uh, Hercules occasionally appeared uh, in Superman and other comics. And he was usually like uh, Superman in, in one of the early comics. He did some of Hercules's labors, you know, so he became part of the Hercules uh, legend rather than vice versa. And uh, um, even Marvel did this with Kirby's The Eternals that are being made into the movie. They had an Eternal called the Forgotten One uh, who was Gilgamesh. And he did some of Hercules's uh, labors uh, as well. So, um, the, the comics offer like a, a whole new interpretation of mythology. And for me, it's exciting. Uh, the, the scholar part of me, because this is what happened in the Mediterranean where these stories mutated and blended. And, you know, uh, if you study those tales from long ago, I, I recently posted um, Hercules being the bodyguard of uh, Buddha. And that's a belief that goes back to antiquity. 
and it exists in sculpture. So one of the sculptures, uh, I believe, was destroyed in Afghanistan, but there are plenty of images of it. Uh, and there, there was another one posted with this uh, YouTube video, so I posted that as well. And it showed how initially uh, he started off uh, as the Hercules we recognized, with the beard and the muscles and the club. But by the time he went back east, um, he had transformed into like a supernatural looking uh, um, uh, entity and that his uh, club became the Vajra, which is uh, a lightning bolt weapon uh, that he uses. And they've shown also how the club of Hercules on its way north, where he became four, um, the club kept, kept mutating until it evolved into the hammer that we're familiar with. Um, it was the club of Donar. Uh, and then that became the hammer of uh, Thor. So it, it, it's very interesting. And then in Marvel Comics, you have Thor and Hercules interacting. You know, So th these stories uh, are like living things, and they move with us through time. Uh, and they take on a life of their own, but they're, they're not very consistent. So uh, studying the inconsistencies has always been one of my favorite things. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think, uh, Hercules, with regards to the um, Hercules movie with uh, Dwayne Johnson? I think from around nineteen or two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. Yes. I think it was. My son and uh, my uh, close friend who I was speaking of uh, previously, uh, who dresses up like Santa Claus sometimes and we go out and do uh, um, holiday things, um, both of them uh, took me to the movie because they knew how much I you know, had been looking forward to it. I'd read the graphic novels, and they, although they were good, I wasn't that impressed uh, with their interpretation of uh, some of the mythical figures. And I was pleasantly uh, surprised to discover that they changed it for the uh, movie. And uh, I enjoyed the movie uh, very much because it paid tribute to the original Peplum uh, movies with Steve Reeves, where he was Hercules. Uh, and that Hercules was, in essence, you know, a very simple uh, person, despite being a demigod, uh, that he valued uh, family, uh, that he valued uh, uh, the roles that having a family uh, provided him, being a father, being a husband, uh, being uh, someone who contributed to his community. Uh, and uh, in the Rocks uh, version, uh, or Dwayne Johnson's version, more accurately, um, he was that as well. That basically he was content to be living, uh, they got the city wrong, but in the movie it was Athens, uh, with uh, Eurystheus and to uh, have a wife and have children. Uh, and uh, that was a tremendous loss to him. And that's what, you know, affected him and made him who he was, the mercenary that he was in the movie. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it, but I, I happen to like it. Yeah, I agree with you. I have film as well. Um, I think what struck me probably the most with regards to the film was the fact that, like you just mentioned, the fact that family was important to him, community was important to him, yes. which I thought was kind of a departure from, like, the Steve Reese films where – he was always kind of the loner, um, you know, he was doing his thing. He wasn't a bad guy, obviously, but, you know, there wasn't quite that connection that I thought, right. you know, Johnson's portrayal actually did. And I think it gave him um, a sense of humanity 
um, you know, that he, that, you know, I forgot that he was a demigod, you know, and, and took him as, you know, although he had these, these, you know, superhuman strengths and things like that, at the end of the day, you know, in his heart, he's a man, he's, you know, he has an interest in family and his community, friendship, and, you know, they were fighting, you know, a good fight as a team. Mm. It wasn't just and um, even behind the scenes, you know, like the the oh the extras on the the Blu-ray as well as different things that I read, um, you know, that's that's the way Johnson was too with regards to this film is that you know it was a team effort. It wasn't yeah. just him carrying or anything like that. And I just was was thoroughly impressed and I thought you know the acting was fine yeah there's going to be inconsistencies with regards to history there always is um you know it didn't follow the the graphic novel but although I hadn't read the graphic novel so I didn't feel like I was like me I didn't have that preconceived uh mental situation where I was thinking well oh it's not like in the graphic novel um, I was very impressed by it and, and, and I thought it was entertaining It was enjoyable um, And just a, a, a good film Yes it, it, the, quality, the quality of it was very good I believe it was shot very well It told a very effective story And uh, yes, the, the, it, the team is very important uh, Nobody does every, some, everything by themselves You, know, you have to uh, support people When I had my TV show Like a dozen or so years ago uh, in the third season, um, I started introducing my uh, my cast and crew um, by first showing them in mirrors. So while I was being filmed uh, in my adventures in the mirror of a car or uh, in the mirror in the background, if you were paying attention, you could see that there were people there, you know, uh, filming. And slowly I started introducing them into the stories and showing how, you know, that this was their adventure as well. It wasn't just me wandering around Manhattan with a sword and uh, interacting with uh, unique uh, uh, individuals or doing things with unique individuals. It was uh, a team effort and that these shows wouldn't exist unless we had all these guys uh, uh, filming and editing. And I knew how much, like, uh, for a good three, three and a half minute segment, it would take like uh, um, uh, four to six hours of filming and then six to nine hours of editing. So there's all those hours, you know, just went into producing a few minutes. Uh, and uh, uh, it's amazing how much work goes into, you know, uh, back then. Now, you know, if you have a, a camera and a, uh, um, a an internet connection, you could produce uh, shows. But back then, uh, th- there was a lot of work that went into them behind the scenes. So uh, that movie drew attention to that uh, as well, that yes, Hercules was the figure, uh, but these were all people in his team and he couldn't have done his labors without the people in his team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that brings, brings around to the point, you know, who is it, what and who is a superhero. And I, I think that, you know, in that particular movie, I think he really epitomizes, what a, what a superhero is, um, you know, and it includes, you know, family and tradition and team and honor, you know, belief, belief in the greater good, you know, being willing to sacrifice oneself, you know, for that greater, that, that greater mission, that greater purpose, 
um, you know, that it isn't just about I, I, I. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's about a greater community. Um, yeah. I think uh, he also did an, a, a nice job, you know, kind of looking at various films um, and stories related to my interest in ancient Egypt, you know, again, kind of returning to Johnson again, you know, his work in Scorpion King. Um, yes. You know, epitomizes um, many of these same values, um, you know, that we were just discussing in Hercules. So I find it interesting that, you know, here's here's an actor who gravitates to, towards these roles, um, you know, that, that gives a human perspective to these very mythical or historical characters um, that we might, you know, that we might not know of otherwise. I mean, Hercules is a little different, but, you know, Scorpion King, for instance, you know, um, you know, how many people know about the Arcadians and, and things like that. And, and, you know, he opened that, that door um, to an, an even greater historical period um, than what we might think otherwise. Yes, and uh, a few people realize that the Scorpion King uh, was based on a historical personage. We don't know that much about the real, quote-unquote, Scorpion King, uh, but that he is someone that existed uh, in our world, and he had a tremendous impact in uh, pre-dynastic Egypt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, and even thinking beyond, you know, looking for, like, mummies as <laughs> mummy in, in the very there as uh, superheroes, you know, and, and unfortunately they, they are typically the supervillain. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. And so, I must sadly, say, I... Hmm? Go ahead. I must, I must tell you that uh, you and Nicholas inspired me to get a copy of Gods of Egypt, and uh, I found that I had the first four Scorpion King uh, films, but that they made a fifth one. So uh, I'll be watching those in the days ahead. <laughs> yes, I, I need to watch those as well, because I'd love to be able to chat about them uh, with you on a, on a future podcast. Um, and definitely, definitely I have to revisit. Yes. Because yes. I'd love to talk about Gods of Egypt and, and uh, the various uh, portrayal of the, the various gods um, and, and do a deeper dive on that uh, in, a, in an upcoming show. And uh, it's very interesting how they cast uh, them and uh, uh, the story they told. So, uh, yes, I, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, both the Scorpion King series and uh, uh, Gods of Egypt uh, with you. Now, a question I had, since you've given superheroes uh, lots of thought, uh, uh, is what do you think of the real-life superhero movement? The real-life superhero movement? Yes, there there is a movement. Uh, It's unofficial. They made at least one documentary about it. Uh, And... uh, uh, they're superheroes that wander around dressed in uh, superhero regalia, uh, and they do different things. Some are they, these things range from being actual vigilantes, like uh, some of the superheroes, uh, to helping uh, social causes. So I've been I torn for the past. 
year or so, or no longer than that, with forming a real life superhero team, uh, we will not be vigilantes. I'll state that from the beginning. Um, you know, no going out and fighting uh, crime and criminals or suspected crime and criminals. Uh, I'm more for the social uh, aspect of it. So um, that's the kind of, I, I interviewed uh, several uh, real life superheroes on my website. Unfortunately, that those pages aren't up yet because uh, I had to redo my whole website from uh, scratch. They got rid of the program that I was using. Uh, so until that happens, those pages aren't available. But I interviewed three uh, real-life superheroes. They're very interesting uh, people. One uh, was involved in politics and in vigilantism. Uh, another one, uh, he did environmental type of uh, things in his local community. And then I don't exactly remember what the, what the third one did, but it, it was fascinating as well. I'm curious, Hercules, uh, were they met? Were they met? I, I believe somebody started the movement and somebody made a documentary about it. And then people globally started connecting on social media. And uh, on uh, Facebook, although Facebook tried to get rid of them a couple of times, from what I understand, uh, they had the initials R-L-S-H. Uh, after their name, if they're a real-life superhero. Oh, okay. Yeah, I and wasn't familiar with that. Oh, it's fascinating. And sometimes they form into teams, superhero teams. Well, that's interesting. I, what I was curious about is whether they were uh, wore a mask or not, because I wondered, you know, what the... You know, are they out there showing their face or, you know, do they do it in, um, are they anonymous to, to a degree um, with regards to their activities, not being nefarious, but allowing their deeds to speak louder than who they are? Both. Uh, some are masked and some are not masked. Right now there's a lot of legislation uh, against uh, wearing masks. So um, I, I haven't been focusing on the movement uh, in the past uh, year or so, so I don't know how many of them have uh, um, have been dealing with that. But uh, one of them that was uh, um, New Jersey, and I'd met him, and uh, we spoke on the phone and by email for an extended length of time, uh, he eventually gave up uh, being a masked uh, superhero and started a nonprofit organization. So he's currently doing all his superheroing you know, through his, uh, I guess, like Bruce Wayne starting a foundation or something. He's, he's not rich, but he, he managed to start a, uh, um, um, a nonprofit to tackle a social problem that exists here in uh, uh, New Jersey and elsewhere. And last time I spoke with him, he had branched into New York and uh, Pennsylvania, which are neighboring states. So that's the type of superheroing uh, I want to uh, get into. Uh, and, uh, um, so anyway, th that's going to be the topic of future discussions because we only have around six more minutes. Um, but uh, I was wondering if you'd heard of, of them. Yeah, I'm going to take a, a look because I'm very curious by that and, and would love to understand better, you know, that, that movement. I think it's fascinating. 
Well, when I do form it, you know I'm going to invite you and Nicholas to play if you'd like to. If you'd like to. But uh, again, no going out there fighting criminals in tights. You know, we're going to pick a, a social thing and then you know, figure out how we can use uh, uh, our own unique uh, creative gifts uh, that uh, the gods gave us before we came here uh, to uh, address and to uh, uh, hopefully uh, solve the social problem. I, I like that. I but I will put my broadsword back in the closet then. No, leave it out just in case, you know. <laughs> <laughs> when I had my show and I used to wander around with a broadsword, I had a big, big, big sword. It was bigger than a broadsword. Uh, wandering around the streets of New York after September 11th, I couldn't walk a, a block or two without somebody stopping me who didn't know me. Um, you know, call the cops and I would always get clear. It's like, oh yeah, he has a TV show. He's okay. Uh, and then the, the next time, the next time. So it would take me forever to walk from, from place to place. So uh, I had to change the way I did things. So I don't want any of that either. No, no, definitely. Not. So a broadsword, so, what, uh, what other weapons do you have? Um, well, let's see. Well, I don't really have a broadsword, but it would be really cool if I did. I wouldn't mind that, actually. Um, no, I guess it's more, uh, you know, worth than creating art, I guess, is probably my, my, my creative outlet. And researching. You're a scholar. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. Now, until our next conversation, which fortunately will be Thursday, uh, where we're going to uh, work on uh, the the whole Starfleet thing and exploring uh, um, fictive outer space uh, and mythology and related uh, topics. But how can people enter your world, Michelle? Oh, sure. Um, they can read uh, my world by going through... Um, my author's page at Amazon.com, it would be Michelle Brittany, I'm Michelle with one L, Brittany with two T's, A and Y. Um, or you can uh, go to any of your search engines and type in Michelle's Musings on Mummy. I write a blog each uh, Monday. Uh, so guess what I'm doing after this? <laughs> writing a blog. Awesome. I'm writing a blog. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an excellent blog, uh, by the way, and uh, if uh, you love mummies or are interested in mummies, you'll find yourself very much uh, at home there and wanting uh, to uh, revisit as often uh, as you can. Uh, Michelle, thank you very much. You're awesome. Um, I don't think I told Nicholas he's awesome this time, so please tell Nicholas he's awesome, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you in a few days. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Again, thank you so much, Hercules, for having me on your show this evening and to your listener to dial in every week um, to hear, you know, all the, the fascinating uh, things that we talk about. So I'm very appreciative. Thank you and looking forward to Thursday evening. And thank you for being such awesome guests on the show. Yes, I will talk to you Thursday. And I put uh, links to your Facebook page, to your Amazon page, and I'll also uh, put a link uh, to your mummy blog. Oh, thank you so much, Hercules. I appreciate it. Okay, be well. And you. And happy holidays. Nick told me about uh, <laughs> how you're celebrating. That is incredibly awesome. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. We're going to listen to a quick song. Uh, we're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antlered Crown and Standing Stone. And then we'll be back with Ryan Foley. And we're going to be continuing this exploration of uh, various uh, fictive expressions and superheroism. Bones of trees 
fallen leaf The time of the winter queen But through the wind and snow and rain Know that a part of me remains Holly stands evergreen I am your host, Hercules Invictus, and our next guest is Ryan Foley, graphic novelist, author, bodybuilder, and great guy. Greetings and welcome, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing excellent, sir. Thank you for having me back on again. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our discussion as uh, you are someone that uh, has a very encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, of superheroes and popular culture. So uh, tell me, do superheroes resonate uh, as strongly with you as they do with our other uh, guests tonight? I certainly hope so, I, and, uh, and not just with your other guests, but with the, the people in general. I, I do okay. think that there is just something – inherently uh, uh, magnetic about the, the superhero culture that has really uh, taken off here, uh, well, as far as uh, comic books go, uh, since dating back to, to the 60s and, and then even, you know, uh, a little bit farther back with, uh, with certain characters. But, yeah, I, I just I feel that superheroes, they are the, the modern-day mythology. And these are the stories, the stories and the characters that they are creating now, I think are going to continue to resonate and we'll still be reading stories about Batman and Spider-Man, uh, you know, anywhere from a hundred to 200 years from now. And that's very unique. I don't think that there's another, uh, intellectual property out there with the exception possibly of maybe Star Wars that is mm-hmm. going to continue on that where, these characters that are being created are, are going to be with us for, for several lifetimes. Uh, it's very interesting um, in the perspective of mythology to look at this, because these uh, myths that started here in the United States um, as an American expression slowly started uh, uh, spreading throughout the world. And now with uh, you know, the entertainment industry, they've become global modern myths. And, uh, and this, I, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's I just, I think it's interesting. This. I feel, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. 
No, no, I was I was just saying that it's it's interesting to watch this because uh, uh, you begin to wonder if this happened in the past because there are global myths and uh, people had attributed them to different things, you know, to just diffusion to a collective subconscious, you know, uh, to try to explain why these mythic themes and uh, the similarity of heroes uh, keep popping up in different cultures. And uh, I feel blessed to be living in this uh, day and age because I'm getting to watch that happen. So if anything happens to our civilization, uh, Spider-Man, Batman, uh, and Superman, and Wonder Woman, uh, and uh, Hawkeye, and all, all, all the DC and Marvel mostly superheroes uh, are known throughout the globe. So these, their tales will survive in some form and fashion. I, I think the I reason think the why that, that, that's going to occur is because they tap into a certain um, innate story that it, it is, it's not limited to a single culture. I think that mm-hmm. the, the, the inevitable struggle of, let's say, someone like a Spider-Man, uh, if you really go through and you break down all, all of the best Spider-Man stories, uh, it had to, to deal with a scenario where Peter had to make a choice. And you know, right. does he want to continue to be, uh, does he want to continue to be Spider-Man? Does he want to live the life of Peter Parker? Or, and I think, I think the best Spider-Man stories were the issue was where, say, okay, so uh, someone is robbing a bank on the uh-huh. east side, but he has to get his medicine to Aunt May, who's on the west side. And so he has to make that choice of, you know, who, does he take care of his aunt or does he stop these, you know, these bad guys? Does he uh, go after the greater good or does he take care of, of people that he loves uh, endearly? And, and I think whenever you come across, whenever you put a, a character in jeopardy, in jeopardy like that, uh, one, it, it makes for a fantastic drama. It makes for a fantastic story, but it's also something that is tremendously relatable. And so, yes. I, I think if you can go through, you can find that that signature, that that thing that everyone can understand and can relate to. That helps draw them into the story. And so, as a result, yeah, it doesn't really matter if the the character is is white, black, if he's uh, you know, uh, uh, from a different ethnicity, because we all understand that same innate drive. And I think that's part of the reason why they have such universal appeal. Oh, I agree. And uh, Marvel uh, started that uh, trend where it, it, it uh, started presenting these uh, comic book gods as uh, people with, uh, with uh, problems uh, and uh, challenges that very similar to the ones that uh, we ourselves uh, face. Um, Superman had that, but he was with his. It was kind of like if you're so superior to the people around you, how do you fit into the society? And he did that by kind of uh, simplifying, you know, what he was doing, dumbing himself down, uh, as it were. Uh, and all of us have to do that to some degree or another, you know. Also. Uh, as we wend our way through uh, life, we have to hide certain aspects of ourselves and assume like secret identities and, and so forth. So um, th- that too was uh, relatable. But uh, you're right, the, the superheroes, anybody can relate to Peter Parker having to make a difficult decision like that because we're all faced with those decisions all the time. And theirs are just told in, in slightly more fantastic fashion, uh, and the, the color schemes are always, you know, obviously a, a lot brighter. 
I, I think, and, and this is by no means a, a knock on, on either of the publishers, uh, because there, there's always the, um, the, the there's going to be that, that dividing line. And some people are going to be DC guys and girls, uh, and some people are going to be Marvel fans. And I, I particularly, I'm, I'm more of a Marvel fan myself. Uh, it's, it's not to say that I don't enjoy the, the stories of Superman and Batman. I, I think they're, they're fantastic, and they're, and they're wonderful characters. But I've always gravitated more towards, uh, towards the Marvel side. And I think part of the reason for that is that the best way that I would go through and describe it is that uh, DC often treated their characters as gods who were living mm-hmm. amongst the human population, whereas Marvel was more about the heroes that were, that were human that just happened to be granted uh, godly abilities. And so as a result, the, the characters seem to be more human first and, and God second in, in the Marvel Universe. And, and I think that's probably the reason why uh, it, I gravitated towards that. Uh, but I think one of the more interesting facts that uh, – it, it took me a long time to, to understand this, really, to, but to break down the difference between the characters of Superman and Batman is that Clark Kent is who Superman truly is. And Superman is the mask that Clark Kent puts on. So he goes out and pretends to be Superman, where Clark is really who he is at his core. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Batman, really, Batman is who Bruce Wayne really is. And uh, the playboy philanthropist is the mask that Batman puts on. Uh, in order to, to go out and amongst the, the, the average people. And so I always thought that was very interesting, the, the difference in the, in the dichotomy between the two characters, who both have a secret identity, but in really Clark is Superman's real identity and Batman is Bruce Wayne's true identity. And yes. that, that gave me a, a greater perspective uh, of the character, a greater appreciation of the characters. I, I like the um, the compromises that uh, Clark has to make, though, because he is he's a he's a very powerful uh, uh, person, uh, one of the most powerful on our planet, uh, and yet he has a day job, and you know, he's a reporter, uh, and uh, uh, he assumes the, the affectation of uh, of being unsure of himself. As Superman, he has to be super confident of himself. So I, I, I understand how Clark could be who he truly is, but, but Clark is like himself with the volume turned really, 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 really low. Okay, yeah, okay. I can definitely yeah, see that. that. Yeah. Have you heard of the real-life superhero movement? Uh, I've, I've seen a few, uh, just, just a, a few uh, news broadcasts, uh, things about that, uh, but as far as uh, delving too deep into it? No, I'm, I'm afraid I, I'm not tremendously knowledgeable about it. I was sharing uh, some information that I gathered with uh, uh, Michelle earlier in the show, and I'll share the information with you. Um, basically, um, there are a bunch of people who are superheroes in our society. They dress up in, you know, in superhero uh, costumes uh, from the comics mostly, uh, and they go out and do certain things. Some of them are actually vigilantes, you know, like uh, Batman. Uh, and they okay. go out there and they okay. patrol the streets and do things uh, like that. Uh, while others uh, represent social causes. So they'll pick a social cause and then they'll, they'll put on the, uh, um, the superhero 
um, mask and the costume and uh, maybe the cape, uh, and they'll go out and they'll, they'll represent a particular cause. Uh, I happened to meet a real-life superhero in uh, um, New Jersey when we first got here and we were doing, you know, like different uh, toy shows and flea markets and things like that uh, with uh, what we had left from our store in Pennsylvania. And uh, um, so I, I got to speak with them on several occasions. And uh, by the time uh, I started interviewing people for a website that I constructed, um, he had moved on and he was no longer wearing his uh, superhero um paraphernalia, but he'd started a nonprofit organization. He went to like the Bruce Wayne type of thing. He wasn't a, a playboy billionaire, uh, but he start, started a nonprofit organization and worked in making things better for homeless people uh, through his nonprofit. And uh, he centered in uh, Northern Jersey. He expanded to Southern Jersey. Now, last time I talked to him was about a year ago. Um, he uh, um, exp- expanded into Pennsylvania and New York. So his organization is now his uh, superheroic vehicle. So I've toyed with, uh, you know, doing something like that uh, in the here and now. Um, And uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that. We won't be vigilantes, by the way. We're not going to beat up uh, suspected criminals or or stop street crimes, you know. Um, We're going to be doing the philanthropic uh, uh, tackle social problems uh, through an organization type of thing. Okay, so uh, I think every actor who's ever gone through and put on the Batman mask, uh, and Uh and I'd be curious to see how how some of the the characters in the Marvel comics uh, deal with this, Uh, they basically say that if you actually tried to run around in a costume like that, uh, you'd get your butt kicked uh, because there's not the the mobility that you need, uh, uh, things like that. So, yeah, as far as as the vigilante thing – I could not get behind that uh, in the least that I'd, I'd much rather leave that to the, to the trained professionals. But I will uh-huh. say this, that much the same way that um, well, I think it was two years ago, there was the, the ice bucket challenge on Facebook. I didn't really understand how pouring ice water on yourself uh, was supposed to raise awareness for, for Lou Gehrig's disease, but you okay. cannot deny the the amount of awareness that it did bring to that disease and in that regard my hats off to to the people that went through and uh and and participated in that there now here we do have a few local comic book conventions in my area for your listeners uh, i'm located in northeastern oklahoma and Mm -hmm. there are a few uh local conventions i know that there's uh, a wizard world often makes its way uh, close to Tulsa uh, or within Tulsa. And then uh, Tokyo and Tulsa is another one that they have that has, has gotten fairly big. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the Prior Creek Comic Convention uh, that's going to be here in uh, sometime, I want to say like a month from now. Uh, okay. And so I'm excited about that because it's right in my backyard. And so whenever I was at the last uh, Prior Creek Comic Convention, there were representatives of a group. I'm, I'm not 100% certain of their name just right off the bat, uh, but I, I want to say it was like a, like a Marvel and DC league where these people will go through and they dress up as your favorite comic book characters, and they would have their photos professionally taken. And then at their booth, they would have those photos available for sale. 
And okay. the, the reason why they were going through and they were selling these photos, the proceeds were, uh, I want to say, were, were benefiting childhood cancer. And awesome. so to that, yeah, I mean, I just, I can't really, I mean, it's, uh, something like that is, is absolutely fantastic that these guys are going through and they're making the majority of these costumes themselves. Uh, yeah, and so, and so of course, yeah, I went through and, and bought a couple pictures. It, it just because it was like, Hey, all right, they're, they're doing something positive with their message. And so in a situation like that, I think it was PT Barnum who once said, uh, I don't care what you say about me in the newspaper, just spell my name right. You know, so anything that someone can do to go through and raise awareness for a social cause, I think is fantastic. And it's much the same way that, so the, the four color uh, costume scheme of your, of your comic book heroes is always very, it's very loud. It's very ostentatious. And, and the reason why they do that is to make sure that it catches your eye. In, right. a, in a realistic environment, Wolverine wearing bright yellow spandex doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but yet in the comic books, it works because your eye is immediately drawn to that character. The color yellow, if, if you have a, a variety of characters all uh, smattered together, and if you have someone that's wearing yellow, your your eye is automatically drawn to them, and so the bright blue and reds of Spider-Man's costume, it allows you to identify that character very quickly. So if you translate that over into a, a social cause, if you see people walking around in bright, colorful costumes, it's immediately going to draw the eye. And not right. that I necessarily want to make the, the comparison, but because I'm, I'm not saying that you, that you have to be loud and annoying but let's face it, those weird and loud commercials for every used car dealership. I know whenever I was going to, to school down in Dallas, uh, there mm-hmm. was this guy who had these loud, crazy, uh, you know, car commercials. And I was like, boy, those things, I mean, yeah, it's like, wow, those things are really high volume. Uh, and But the people that are there are like, yeah, but you remember that commercial, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. So, I mean, <laughs> as much as uh, uh, and, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm bashing anyone, but you know, so uh, if someone's out there ringing the bell uh, for the Salvation Army, uh, and it's just become the same thing over and over again, you almost tend to, to block it out uh, because it's, it's not catching your eye, it's not finding your interest. But whereas if you have someone out there, now I remember because I was, I was walking into a Walmart. Uh, around you know the same time where they have the bell ringers out there, and uh, so you have all your standard ringers, and a lot of times those people it's it's fairly easy to annoy them, uh, or to, not to annoy them, to ignore them. Uh, uh-huh. and, but then someone was there in a Winnie the Pooh uh, full outfit and a Tigger outfit, and it caught my eye and it made me laugh. And okay, yeah. <laughs> so as a result, they're getting the change that I have in my pocket just because. They took the time to go out uh-huh. there and do something rather outlandish, but admittedly, hey, it caught my eye, and it made me think about it. So I, I would equate that in the same way. Uh, you, it's not very often that you see a guy in blue tights and a red cape you know, walking around the city streets. But if you do right. see that, it's going to catch your eye. And, and to, go to, to put that in a real-world context, uh, I was reading in Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, uh, total Recall about how uh, he would just he would literally strip down 
into his small speedos and would then walk around the city whenever he was uh, whenever he was trying to promote the gym that he was working out at, and people go, oh, "Yeah, there's Arnold out there strutting around uh-huh. in, in, in his in his briefs to try to get people to come in and sign up at the gym because he would get like a, he would get a bonus if he brought in you know new members. Right. So he would do anything that he could. Uh, yeah. So anytime you can do something like that, as long as if it's raising awareness for uh, something that is a critical issue. Then uh, yeah, I think something like that. The people that do that, I I think it's absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Uh, I have a couple of uh, causes that I'm currently uh, trying to draw attention to. So uh, right now I'm giving thought to which cause it would be best to associate with uh, that type of uh, vehicle. Um, sure. I found that sometimes uh, just being a plain citizen is the most powerful thing you can do. You know, through like letter writing and making telephone calls and things like that. So. Um, each uh, endeavor uh, has uh, its own optimal way to approach it. Uh, and I'm not shy. I mean, I, I dress up in my ancient Greek regalia and, you know, uh, um, for the Chamber of Commerce, uh, lead parades and uh, help open up new businesses. <laughs> so uh, uh, there, there are many worthier causes of that, although that I consider that those very worthy causes. Well, but, uh, well, but, but uh, for those – and again, you never know – uh, what's going to spark someone's interest? You never know what's going to spark someone's uh, desire to to go through and and learn something. So it's it's very well possible if you're there in a Christmas parade and you're done up in all your regalia, and there's going to be kids that are going to see you. And I do think that there is something that that is kids are inherently drawn to again the super heroic, and if you mm-hmm. see. A big barbarian out there with a broadsword—that's gonna, you know, that's gonna draw their eye, or they're gonna wonder, well, who is this man, and, and who is he representing? And so, as a result, then he can go through, and he or she uh, can go through, and then they start learning. Then they start on that quest to go through and learn more things that are out there. And so, again, it's—is it—is it different? Absolutely. But really, what's normal in this world? And and we never know how our actions are gonna go through and and prompt other people to, to go out and find something new and exciting that hopefully will expand their horizon. Is there any superhero character that you'd love to write for? Um, I think probably, uh, I mean, if I had my choice, if, if a publisher came to me and said, Hey, would you, who would you be interested in writing? Uh, my, my number one go-to has always been Hawkeye. Um, okay. There is something. There is something about that character that I absolutely love, and one of the I, most people know Hawkeye from uh, Jeremy Renner's rendition in the Marvel yes. Cinematic Universe. But in the comic books, Hawkeye always uh, considered himself to be almost uh, a second tier Captain America. He wanted to mm-hmm. be Cap, uh, tr- tremendously so. And almost looked at the him almost like a little brother, and had a little bit of an inferiority complex that he struggled to deal with, and I can understand that. I can I can get behind that that mentality, and so I think that would allow me to get into the head of the character fairly well and present that that little brother style of of uh, storyline, which I think would be very interesting. So again, it's it's not so much about 
you know, which spy network he's taking on or, you know, who the bad guy is, but dealing with that, that human character and finding that, that condition that other people can relate to and go, oh, yeah, I know what it's like to be that guy, to wonder if you're good enough or to constantly compare yourselves to other people and hoping that you're good enough. I think there's an, there's an innate uh, story there that I think a lot of people would gravitate to. And I, I do think the, the character with the bow and arrow is pretty darn cool. Yes, uh, most definitely so. Uh, Jeremy Renner put a, a new spin on the character. I was familiar with the character since uh, the 60s. And uh, I, I'm no longer, uh, I no longer have really the, the time to read as many comic books as I once uh, did in the past, uh, although I still keep track of a, a few uh, titles on and off. Uh, but that is a very fascinating character, and they've done very many fascinating things with him in the past. And uh, most recently, I believe they did, like, uh, like they had Old Man Logan. I believe they had uh, Old Man uh, Hawkeye as well. I, I did not know that, but boy, that's something that I'd, I'd be interested to, to read, which unfortunately just with, uh, again, we get caught in the same, I'm caught in the same loop that you are. I wish that I had the opportunity to read more comics than, than I'm able to now, but uh, life just gets pulling you in so many different yep. directions. And I, there's, there's a part of me that says I need to go to the digital format because they're saying that, you know, the e-comics could be, the, the iPad may, be, may have been the single device that may have uh, saved or revolutionized the comic book industry because now you can go through and just read them all on, you know, your electronic yes. devices. And that's, so that's something that I've been considering doing in the future just so I can get, so I can jump back in and see all the amazing stuff that publishers are doing these days. I've, uh, again, I wish I had more time, but uh, um, I do have like uh, an hour or so a day that I, I try to keep up online uh, and uh, since I'm on the computer, I've tried like a few comics on Kindle, um, okay. and uh, yeah, that's proven an easy way of uh, of uh, reading uh, comics. Uh, uh, again, you know, you run into the uh, problem of not being able to sit on the computer because you have other things uh, to do, uh, like Peter Parker having to make those life life choices about what to how to exactly. spend your minutes. Um, but uh, it is uh, for you know it is similar and not similar to reading a comic book. Instead of uh, uh, turning pages, you're scrolling down with a mouse or clicking uh, arrows, um, and the comic is uh, bigger and more luminous uh, than uh, the pages uh, before you. So it provides a slightly different experience. Uh, but uh, um, again, I found it very uh, good, and uh, sometimes. Uh, um, like there are subscription services I've seen where you can read from Marvel or DC tons of old comics inexpensively. Um, and a lot of people are publishing their comics uh, digitally. So they're only available uh, uh, through uh, whatever device you happen to be using. I do just think that's, that's, that's the brave new world that we're a part of now and, and going digitally. Uh, I mean, there is something about the, being it that tactile sensation of being able to hold that comic book in your hand, the smell yes. of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But at the same time, uh, you know, I'm sure there were a whole host of people that said that eight track tapes were just the absolute best and, and nothing was ever going to replace them. But uh, unfortunately we have to find a way to, uh, to adapt in advance, but yeah, you're absolutely right with, I, I know Marvel uh, because I've purchased in the past uh, where they had large sections of their libraries available 
and this kind of dates when I did it, but on CD-ROM. And so as yes. a result, I was able to go back and, and read a lot of those old comics that were far too expensive for me to go through and purchase right. simply for the simply to read. Uh, you know, and then there are some that are so obscure and so hard to find that there's no way you'd ever find them. But by Marvel allowing their library to be opened up digitally, then I can go back and I can read the first issue of Spider-Man yes. uh, and, and see how it all started and, and, and watch that slow progression. So, yeah, I do think that the digital age is really going to revitalize the, the comic book industry and hopefully the, the massive swell of popularity that is revolving around the Marvel Cinematic Universe will continue to drive traffic to Marvel Comics so that way they can go through and continue to develop the wonderful stories that will continue to carry on for and, and the characters that they will create will hopefully carry on for another hundred years. Uh, I hope so too. Unfortunately, I don't uh, anticipate being here in a hundred years, but uh, uh, while this is still unfolding, I intend to uh, enjoy it as much as uh, possible. Um, now, I, again, I look at the clock, the time passes really uh, quickly and we're down to our last uh, eight minutes. Um, okay. Is there anything okay. you'd like to share about uh, things that are going on in your creative life uh, that uh, folks should know about? Uh, at this point in time, I wish I could tell you that I have uh, more irons in the fire. Uh, but at this point, there are uh, certain agreements that I just that uh, I haven't been able to talk about. Uh, the okay. only thing that I'm I'm pushing towards is uh, I'm I'm in, I'm hoping to self-publish uh, my own fir- my own first novel uh, awesome. here. Uh, hopefully, in in 2020 is my goal is to go through and have it written and be ready to be published uh, then. But again, since the publishing world is changing just the same way that it is in comics, uh, now while uh, I'm, I'm pushing towards a, a digital format only, uh, but in doing so, it keeps my overhead low. It, it makes it to where I'm right. able to produce it for, for a fairly small amount of money. And I would love to be able to get back into doing that with comic books. But unfortunately, I'm just a writer. I, I know very little about publishing comics uh, just because I am, I'm located here in, in northeastern Oklahoma. All of my publishing experience, uh, all the publishers that I've worked with, they're all uh, out of state. So I'm not really able to see the hands-on, step-by-step process to know exactly what it takes to publish a book. Uh, but then you have to go through and you have to consider you have to have your artist, your colorist, your letterer, your inkers. So it, it takes a massive team to go through and, and put a, a book like this together and then to put it out. And unfortunately, I just didn't have those resources, whereas a prose novel, which will be you know, published in either a, an EPUB or, or a mobile uh, format, that's all just me. So it's, it's all on uh-huh. my shoulders as far as whether or not it's successful or if it's a colossal failure. That's, it's, it's all going to be on me. Uh, but as a result, it's, it's just cheaper because the – the benefit of, of working from a prose novel is that it, I can have two characters sitting in a white room, uh, just sitting there talking, or I can have an interstellar battle amongst you know thousands of ships, and it costs exactly the same because it's just well, in the traditional sense, it would be ink printed on paper, but now right. it's just you know ones and zeros in code, you know, so uh, so that that provides me a lot more freedom to tell the the types of stories that I want to tell. But the one of the first publishers that I worked with, 
they uh, campfire graphic novels. Their intention mm-hmm. was to hook the reluctant reader. They wanted to go through and say, okay, hey, you know, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, pretty intimidating, you know, to a young kid. But if we can go through and we can tell that story in a graphic novel, then maybe we can go through and, and hook that, that reluctant reader. Uh, the first book that I did for them was an adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. And mm-hmm. I can only hope that, you know, the kids would go through and they'd read that and they'd be able to, to understand the story. You know, my dad used to complain whenever I was a kid about me reading comics, you know, uh, and, but my mom would always say the same thing. You should, hey, at least he's reading, you know, so it, you're reading something. And so I think a lot of people want to go through and they want to discount comic books because they believe that it's the same as it was in the 1960s in which every line of dialogue either ends in an exclamation point or a question mark. And I don't really feel that's the case. I feel that I feel very strongly that these stories that they're creating within these comic books are resonating with people. And it is, it is our modern day mythology. And so for your readers out there, Hey, if you haven't read a comic in a while, stop by one of your local shops and pick one up. I think you'd be tremendously surprised at the level of uh, professional writing and the amazing artistry that's contained within. And the the people that make those, uh, you know, books for Marvel and and DC and all the independent publishers, they're just, they're absolutely fantastic, you know, artists who just want to tell a story. And, and I think those are people that need to be supported. Uh, I agree with you a million uh, percent, and uh, I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. Um, I included a link to your Facebook, uh, to your author page on Amazon. Is there any place else you would like me to include a link? Really, those two places are absolutely fantastic, and it's probably driven more traffic to my Amazon page uh, since I've been talking with you for the the last year or so. So uh, just doing that is absolutely fantastic for me. Awesome. I'm glad that, uh, that it's working out. If you think of any place else, you know, just let me know, and I'll gladly uh, link to it. And uh, Nicholas Dyke encouraged me to uh, put up an author page because now uh, uh, I have like seven anthologies I've been in. I published two uh, e-books on Kindle, short ones. Um, so uh, I started working on that today. Uh, and like you, they're only listing like uh, you have two books listed. I have one book listed, uh, and I don't have a picture of it yet. So I'll be working on that uh, this coming week. Cool. That sounds really neat. Okay. Be well, my friend. Thank you very much, and happy holidays. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate being here. Okay, and thanks to all uh, for joining us. Uh, Until next time, this is Hercules Invictus and Ryan Foley wishing you joyous journeys and a joyous holiday. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>